Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hi, happy hump day. Happy Wednesday, Tracy. How are we doing today? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you make me laugh. I I was just thinking what we've done since we last recorded an episode. And I'm thinking, did we ever talk about Rupi Kaur? We did not. That's what I was going to mention too. Oh. The highlight of our week, I think, was Rupi Kaur. Oh my God. I, as usual, I'm very much an adventurer. I don't necessarily pay much attention to the adventure I may be going on. Which is a good thing because sometimes it's a really good um, uh, thing to do is to accept an invitation where you don't necessarily know what you're going into. And so you just go into a blind, but you also go in with a completely open mind. Yes. And actually, I do that often. However, I do that with people I trust. So when people I trust invite me to something, I go with an open mind and I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. And that was a good example. When you invited me to this show, I was thinking, oh, I just made an assumption. It's a comedian. I don't know if it was because we've been talking about comedians. I just assumed it's a comedian I haven't heard of. So I was like, sure. Turn up. And then I'm like, and then you're telling me, oh, have you heard of it now? If you looked her up now. And you know, she's a poet. Oh. I'm thinking, what's this going to be? When I said, oh, um, uh, she's a poet, did you think of uh, like your uh, school assembly, poetry recitals, that kind yes, of thing? I was just right, like, okay. or like, uh, but then I was like, in the Sydney Opera House, that was kind of surprising because, uh-huh. you know, the Sydney Opera House has got, you know, the best shows, the best talent, very entertaining pieces. So yes. I was a bit like trying to reconcile in my head Poetry, Sydney Opera House. Okay. Yeah, so it doesn't, yeah, you're right, because it, the two don't really go um, hand in hand, like at first thought. So, no. um, and then, then I was thinking of something I may have seen on television, which I have seen on television, slam poetry. I was thinking, oh, maybe it's a little bit like that. And I've never been to one. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Okay. And then when we went in there, it was really full. Mm-hmm. I'd say 
what would you say, 80% female in the room? There was a lot of females there, for sure, yeah. But actually, that was quite good because that was one thing that I was doing, was that whilst you were probably having these thoughts, Tracy, I was actually trying to read the room. So I was basically looking around to see what kind of, uh, yeah, what kind of audience does Rupee Call kind of attract? And it reminded me of my library book kind of group. So, and it kind of made sense. So it was very much a literary audience. So, yeah, but how would you know, other than the fact that it was a literary... Um, I suppose it's kind of, it's like, I suppose it's that generalisation that you make. Like, when you go into a library, you don't necessarily see, like, a lot of people with, like, casual wear, with, like, sports gear on. You don't really yeah. see, you know, you, there's a certain kind of, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone wears, cord, you know, corduroy pants and wears glasses. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But it's like, uh, there's a certain, I don't know, people that visit the library a lot. So, yeah. Um, that's for sure well actually what I noticed is people really made an effort dressing up mm. like really yeah. like they were going to the opera like yeah. dressing up really lovely so everybody looked amazing stunning yeah. I didn't really dress up that much no no you look great but uh, uh, it is it's interesting what you say it's about the age group too so the age group, I don't, I don't remember seeing a lot of the young people there, like in their late teens, like in, in their 20s. It was probably around about like 30s, 40s. It was a much more kind of um, slightly older age range. So which is yeah. great. Mature. Mature-ish. Yeah, I'd say 30s, 40s. Yeah, yeah 30s, 40s. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and the, to the literary point, people were there with the book. You know, mm. There's people that brought the book. So and anyway, I, I went in blind, no idea what to expect sitting there thinking okay but it was buzzing and it was in the main room the main concert hall mm. so that's a big deal and then what I sat through for the next two hours blew my mind and it was inspiring and I was mm. just like so impressed with her bravery sassiness and creativity for the written word. I think you've described Rupi Kaur in a nutshell there, being brave and definitely there's so much sass on that mm. stage. And the fact that she held that stage in the, in the Sydney Opera House's like, concert hall for two hours without a break was just so impressive. Mm. So impressive. So. And, and it was more than poetry. But it's that kind of poetry. I mean, I've read some poetry. It doesn't move me at all. I don't even feel a quiver you know, when I read some types of poetry, and it might just be that's not for me. But this, her poetry really speaks to me. And I'm not just me, I'm assuming lots of people for her to be so popular. It just speaks to her real pain, real struggles that everybody can relate to in such a creative way. And I really love, you know, her calls, I got calls to action or her expression of feminism and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be heard and what it means for all these things. And I just really loved, that's why I really loved it. So. Yeah. And I think that's the other reason why I actually invited you on to the show was because I thought this is something that I think you really resonate with. So, and I'm glad it did. So, um, yeah. Yes. Really well, yeah, I went crazy, didn't I? Yeah, but I've got to buy a book. <laughs> got a book. It was great. Uh, but yeah, because I'd already, I'd read a few of her pieces before. What struck me, what's always struck me about her work is that stroke of feminine, uh, her content is all based around that femininity and celebrating what it's like to be a woman 
and go through the struggles of being a woman Mm -hmm. and she expresses herself just so well Mm -hmm. and she captures what you're thinking but can't put into your own words so creatively and what I like is how she highlighted a lot of cultural norms that we might not even think or might not consider how harmful they are or disempowering they are like I probably can't say it because probably too the p one the p word Right, the yeah. female, the female genitalia, which is usually described in a crass way, yeah. in, using the p word, let's say. Yeah. I had never considered, even though it makes perfect sense, that that word is often used as an attack, as a sign, as an abusive term that means weak, that means mm. inadequate, mm. that has all those meanings mm. stacked behind it, and that's what how it's used. Yeah generally by men and women yeah without actually thinking about well, what's that word represent yeah. yeah and what does that mean do you know what yeah. I mean that's it yeah yeah again that is another example of that um, unconscious bias but yeah that, like that I probably use that word myself mm. in jest but the intent behind the word is to say you're you're a wimp you know you're it's that connotation attached to the word yeah yeah you're lacking in some way and yeah it's just anyway I love her my new fan thank you <laughs> yeah it's great I mean I love the fact that you know she's from an Indian background and she's not afraid to basically you know talk about sexuality um talk about her femininity because it's not encouraged um, especially about in the Indian community and so it's really great to see I mean as somebody of an Indian background uh, just tackle that well this yeah. is what I mean people smashing through cultural norms mm that empower people and that's what she's doing so I just think she's amazing yeah it was Um, a great night it was a great night thanks for that yeah all right what stories do you have yeah so which stories have we got on for today so um shall I start off Uh, for it I, so I saw, uh, I did actually see an article um, the other week and it was in, it's in news.com.au and it was all about uh, a term called labies. And the article was explaining how, um, what well, is all about a, a program that was going to be aired in a few days here in Sydney. And it was um, a part of a documentary show. And it was about how uh, it's a trend that's taking on but in Australia in, in the last few years where um, parents are now no longer assigning the agenda to their newborn babies. And so the article that I've got here from news.com.au, um, the headline is Ladies, Parents Speak Out About Letting Young Children Choose Their Own Gender. So I'll read through the article. It says, a preview of this Sunday's episode of an unprecedented parenting trend has clocked up millions of views. Uh, An explosive teaser of this show has clocked up more than 4 million views on social media. The previewed segment will shed light on an unprecedented parenting trend that lets young children choose their own gender. Known as babies, a portmanteau of the pronoun they and the word baby, and a concept that's gained traction since about 2018, the children are brought up without gender designation from birth and are referred to by their parents using they, them, or their pronouns. One parent who is raising their child without gender said, we didn't assign a gender at birth. 
We're not trying to eliminate gender. We're just really helping kids find their own path to it. I'm letting this little person be who they want to be, another parent featured in the preview said. Strangers in the street have had quite a strong response. Why are you so obsessed? Why do you need to know? While parents are increasingly raising their kids outside of traditional gender norms, for example, sharing clothes and toys, what sets gender open parenting apart is that they do not reveal the sex of their child to anyone in the hopes the latter won't be pigeonholed into gender stereotypes. Even the child, while aware of their own body parts and how they may differ from others, is not taught to associate those body parts with being a boy or a girl. Once your child meets the outer world, which may be daycare or preschool or grandparents, it's pretty much impossible to maintain a gender-free state, Chicago Medical School professor of neuroscience, Lise Elliott, told the outlet. She went on to say, and depending on how conventional your community is, you could be setting your child up for bullying or exclusion. It's important developmental psychologist and author Christina Spears-Brown told NBC for parents of babies to prepare their children for a society that's really obsessed with a gender binary. And people are going to want to put that child into one of those binary categories. And so for children not to be confused, parents have to give kids the language and the understanding of recognizing that I'm not taking part in this binary. Wow, that I did not heard of that. Yeah, a term called babies, which is taking off in Australia. I'm guessing it came from America, though. It doesn't say about the origin, but yeah, you probably assume. I suppose it's taking gender identity to the next level. I mean, this is from birth. So that means whenever, obviously, there's the, there's no gender reveal. <laughs> no, obviously, there's none of that. But they're actually taking it one step further, whereby there is no gender. So um, if someone says, oh, what did you have? Congratulations on your new baby. Is it a boy or a girl? That's what lots of people normally want to know, right? Um, but that they're taking that element out of the equation. So, I would just say a healthy baby. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. It was up to them to decide if I was going to do that. That's exactly what the parents are saying. And, that, that's what, and they're coming up against a lot of backlash around yes. and confusion because... Obviously, it's like, I mean, if there was someone in my group and uh, and I asked, oh, that's great, you know, oh, great, you know, and I heard about a baby being born. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. You know, um, oh, what, what was it? Boy, I would naturally ask, is it a boy or a girl? And if I was told, oh, we don't know yet because um, we're going to wait for them to decide. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not sure what, how I'd respond to that. Well, how would you? Because I haven't come across babies before. And so. You really haven't come across babies. Babies. Oh, babies. I haven't come across a baby before. Now that I read this article, now that I've seen um, the feature on the documentary last week, now I'm going to be a little bit more prepared so that if I do hear about a baby parent, then I'm able to then, okay, articulate that in my mind and, and then respect the fact that, okay, I didn't know that. I probably wasn't aware that my friend and their partner um, were choosing to be a baby parents. And it's a respectful um, forum. So now that I know, I wouldn't have known before. And I think there's lots of people out there who would have been in my position where if they would have asked, they probably wouldn't know how to respond because they may not have come across the term they be before. Well, that's the thing, you know, why do we have to know? We might not know. Why isn't it okay to make a mistake and be corrected? Like you're not expected to know everything about everyone. Mm. It may be, I've never even heard of babies. And you might, if that's so popular and it grows in popularity, you might 
come across that someday. I get it. It's uncomfortable to change a way you're used to behaving. It's uncomfortable for everybody to change a, a pattern of behavior that you're used to doing over and over and over. I'd do exactly the same. I'd be like, oh, are you having a boy or a girl? Do you want a boy or a girl? It's not born yet. Because I know people sometimes have preferences. Yeah, I think with this article, it was highlighting, I mean, part of this article was also highlighting about uh, the response that the baby parents had. The baby yeah. parents are, are quite kind of, quite defensive, on a defensive about why is it such a big deal for everyone? Um, you know, what's what's the point of even asking? So in this particular article, um, for the baby parents that they were interviewing for uh, as part of this article, it came across as quite defensive. Oh, as, that's a shame. Yeah, rather than coming from a perspective of, uh, this is something quite different that we're using. It's a different approach to parenting um, that we've decided to go down the path of. And we understand a lot of people may not understand it, but we're going to be helping them to understand this. It wasn't necessarily like that in the article. It was more so about why is it so important? Why does everyone need to know what a gender is? Yeah, I get it. I get it. But the fact is they're changing cultural norm and that's always going to be. And it's not even just a cultural norm. This is, I, I think this, this is, like is a, way, I think this a, is one step further than a cultural norm. This is uh, it isn't the changing a cultural norm. The cultural norm is we have a binary sex that's the cultural norm in every country in the world right yeah. so they're they're small group of people a minority are changing that and it's uncomfortable to change anything that is normal it's uncomfortable for people because it's different yeah. so i get it i get it. it's a bit it seems like this big crazy thing because it's so different it's not really surprising I'm not surprised this is happening, given how far we've come with, you know, recognising non-binary, people choosing to be non-binary, people choosing to be transgender. I'm kind of not surprised to hear this story. Just, just never heard it. I'm just trying to think how I'd react. I think they just need to be patient. They can't be defensive because people don't know what they don't know. How are they? It's a shock for people to change habit of lifetime. Yeah, I think the article is more so around about not necessarily their reaction. I think the article, and this is also what I would be interested in, is what's the logic behind the baby parents choosing to want to go down this path? Mm. That's what this article is, is introducing. And mm. the reason why I've chosen this article to share on this podcast is because it raises it raises questions for me too. I'd be interested in finding out more about you know what would lead parents to go down this path. You know, it's very different to um, when you have a child and at a certain age that child starts expressing you know um, issues around their identity, mm. and uh, compared to parents choosing to not assign any gender to their child from a get-go i'd be interested in finding out what the reasoning behind so if you had to guess what reason do you think i just i don't know it's like for me it's like a very open you know this is kind of a fairly new area for me you know i don't know too much about this area all right but if so, you had to um, guess could you I, guess I, I think for me it's a i mean for me where, where my mindset goes is mm. around about okay well what do you perceive as a boy as a parent and what do you perceive as a girl as a parent i know that there's parents who really really go heavy in terms of 
of that um, generalizing gender, I, you know, painting their rooms blue or dressing them in pink, you know, and that's what parents do. You know, the parents are then basically uh, setting up uh, an identity for the child. Whereas I know lots of other parents who are very neutral. I know lots of parents who don't choose any colors. They still call their child a boy or a girl, but they don't choose to, that's that's where they stop and they don't choose to do anything. It's like, I know, I actually know a parent who, um, who's raised their child whereby they've gone in truck, they go towards a truck. It doesn't matter, but they're still labeled a boy or a girl. And so for me, that's neutral. And the reason why I'm saying is taking it a step further is because the parents are now taking away the actual, okay, you're not a boy, you're not a girl. And so, uh, and at what point does the child then choose? Do they choose and how? And what contributes to their selection criteria? There's so many factors in this, so many factors. Okay. I think it would not be very easy for a child to navigate that in the society we live in currently, which is very binary. Because even if the parents treated them like they, them, people outside of the home wouldn't probably wouldn't. And you, they've got very little control over that. Like in the playground, at the school, the teachers. If they look like a girl or they look like a boy, I mean, I don't, sometimes some people are very, some males have very uh, feminine features and some females have very masculine features. And depending on how they style of hair, whatever, it may not be easy to tell somebody's gender anyway. But sometimes you will make assumptions about somebody's gender by how they look. So it's going to be hard for them not to be labelled as a gender. Yeah, and like, for example, in the formative years, like when you're at nursery, I'm again nursery for many years. Uh, so I don't know what, what the system is like. But in terms of like lavatories, in terms of, um, you know, toilets, some, I, I don't know if toilets are still labelled um, girls and boys at nursery school. I don't know. But maybe they are. And so, you know, it's about, I suppose, would there be a certain level of confusion that the child would be undergoing around that environment? And also, what kind of level of confusion would there be not only for them to integrate with other children, but also the confusion on the children, of the other children's part in terms of integrating with them? So there's so many layers that I think still need to be looked at. It almost feels like it's almost like this, this baby's parenting style almost sounds like it's very much like, a, like an experiment it's kind of like it's so new it's such a new way of looking at things not looking at things it's, a, it's such a new approach to parenting and I don't know whether or not the parents have considered the external environment and how far the external environment has made what differences has been made over the years to accommodate the style of parenting and whether or not that style of parenting is ready for this external world. Maybe, but then maybe you just have to take a risk sometimes. You might be right. It might be terrible. It might be a big bad mistake. But and this is why I'm coming back to that word experiment. It seems it feels very experimental. Um, well, it is if it's not been done before. But, if it, but is that how fair is that on the child? Mm, yeah, I see. There's, see so, there's, so, there's so many. That's what I'm saying. This parenting approach it raises a lot of questions because there are so many layers, so many factors to be mindful of and mm. to consider. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's definitely worth, uh, definitely worth. Uh, I think, honestly, I think, um, I don't necessarily think it's unfair to the child because as soon as the child gets awareness that there's some difference going on, um, because they'll pick it up pretty quickly about how um, they're being treated by people 
outside of the home. You know, children pick these things up really quickly. I, I imagine this could happen. The child will flip-flop between boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, as it's growing up. And that's because... what's happened. And I think that's, so I watched the feature and that's exactly what's happened, Tracy. Yeah. So the child has been flip-flopping between, and I think, again, so again, I'm going to add in that this is a new delay yeah. that I'm talking about. I think um, I'm not a parent, so um, so I'm going to say this very with caution. A, pa- a, pu- a purpose of a parent is one of the purposes of a parent is to help navigate your child through its emotional, physical development, and it's almost like at birth, the parents are, are relinquishing that responsibility, and so they're not necessarily helping the child navigate through what is being a girl or being a boy it's like i'll choose what choose which side and whatever you feel comfortable with and so where it, it kind of brings into question i'm what i'm saying is i'm raising this because it does come it does bring it into question where does the parents role come into play about being the, the person for that child to help them navigate through their physical emotional cognitive formative years that's the parents you know that's one of the parents main roles is to help a child through its um, cognitive abilities in its formative years that and for a parent to then to basically step aside and say oh you know in terms of identity you can choose that or not from age five or from nine or from 16 or so forth but from the time you're born it does question okay what responsibility is a parent playing then i don't know if i agree i mean when you're a baby how how concerned really are you if you're a boy or a girl i think i personally think Kids are more concerned with getting fed if they're hurt, playing with toys, having friends or people to look after them. I don't think they're sitting there mindful of what it means to be a boy or what it means to be a girl necessarily. I don't know if that's such a primary concern at that young age, but if they're being treated in a negative way mm. because of that decision, then that's going to bring gender higher up the, you know, thinking of priority for them but in, I, a, in a sense it's kind of is, is it that's why this article is saying that you know it also raises that question is again it's another layer is that are you putting is this style of parenting putting um, the child up for bullying for a harder life in essence for more of a challenge whereby you know because the rest of society you know it may not necessarily be on board with this and we're not in a society at the moment where we have binary gender we we still have male and we still have female and that will i can't see that yeah but they're not taking that away yeah of course but the thing is is that a challenge to be placed on a child you know from birth you know it's kind of like that's you know that's what the question is well i guess from their perspective there's this is just me guessing because i'm also guessing what the thinking behind it might be is that if you sign a gender then you straight away are basically educating that child influencing that child imprinting on that child how it should and shouldn't be what it should how it should behave how it should dress not just the parents but outside world because you've assigned it this gender and so you're taking away that limitation i think that's how they might they may see it but that's, removing but, but, that limitation in, in essence they're questioning their own abilities or potential of what kind of parent they may be 
I'm not saying again again it's that style of imprinting so when you're talking Tracy about imprinting it's down to the parents about what, what they imprint yeah you're right it's not just down to the parents so what I what I'm thinking and right I'm not saying one's right one's in there I'm just trying to see what the logic could be yeah what it could be because we're not understanding so not just that they imprint yeah you're right it depends how they treat that child but also what that child believes themselves so if you're even if you're neutral but a child but a child if that child believes if you told the child you tell the child that it's a boy right and even if you're neutral they're going to be going out in the world going right I'm a boy what does that mean what does that mean what does that mean right this is a boy that's a boy this means this this means this so they're making judgments about how they should behave by what they see in the world, not just on how their parents treat them. Yes, the how, how their parents treat them is a big part of it. But they're making judgments about themselves. They're making judgments about who they are, what their identity is, by what they see. Now, they've been told they're a boy. So that means when I go out, that's a boy. That's a boy. That's what I need to relate to. That's gonna. That's my identity. So I can understand they want to take away that limitation. And I think that may be what the logic is. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's the best approach. I'm not saying it c- couldn't cause problems. I'm just trying to figure out what maybe their logic is behind making that kind of decision. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear um, what their logic is around, what their responsibility is in terms of what style of parenting they would have if they did label their child girl or boy. Um, that would be really interesting you know, because... Because, it would take a lot of support. Because you can have a child, I see it all the time, you can have a child and call it a girl and call it a boy, and you don't necessarily, you know, if there's struggles around a girl identifying or seeing other girls who aren't very strong, then I've actually seen it whereby it's the parent who then steps in and raises the child to be strong, to be, you know, that, so that, because that's the parent's responsibility as a child to see what is their child looking at what is their child what kind of images are their child sinking in and then it's up to that child it's up to the parent to then steer that so do you think the parent wouldn't be growing that's one thing about a parent's responsibility is steering a child is steering them if a parents don't necessarily i don't know many children who like i I did this because absolutely i've done exactly what my parents have told me and that's the person i am today you know, it's they, people don't do people don't do exactly what their parents say. Instead, what they do, they're influenced. Yeah. There's parental influence, and that's what it is. It's the parental influence, and that's why it'd be interesting to hear from these baby parents about what influence do they still have on their child. So, what are they afraid of? You know, are they not strong in their abilities to help steer that child, even if they were labelled a boy or a girl? That would Maybe. be interesting to I don't hear. Know. But do you think it takes away other attributes, some sort of, sort of useful attributes to not, like, what do you think? I don't know at the moment. I, I, I don't know at the moment with this baby parenting approach. I mean, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think too much about parenting approach because I don't, I'm not a parent myself. So, um, but what I do find interesting is, you know, the reasons behind why people do things. And um, this baby parenting approach, you know, for me, I'm questioning around when it comes to parenting and um, parenting main responsibility is about steering whatever, whether it's a boy, a girl, even if they have a bloody dinosaur, you know, as a child, how do you steer that dinosaur 
into feeling a certain way, into identifying, okay, yes, I am a dinosaur and I'm going to be proud of it, you know, that kind of thing. And so even if someone says, okay, yeah, yes, you're a boy. Great. Okay. Well, we'll be proud of a boy. Oh, I'm a boy, but I don't feel like a boy. I think I'm a girl. Well, then, then we'll navigate and help that person around that. Mm-hmm. That's, and I think taking away all of that and saying from the get go, I'm just not going to, I'm going to wash my hands of that. I'd be interesting. I, this is what I'm, this is what I want to know. What's the motivation behind giving, relinquishing up that responsibility? That's what I'd be interested. I don't know if I think they have relinquished the responsibility, but I can see how that could be perceived that way. Which is why I'm saying there's so many different layers to this mm. story. Yeah. Well, that's mm. interesting. News to me, for sure. Yeah. But at least um, we know, at least now we know what a baby is. At least now we know what a baby is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but you know, actually, when I was thinking, when I read the title, what I actually did want to point out, because this is, the, there is other difficulties with that. Well, I guess you kind of have to have somewhere noted gender at birth because your gender has scientific implications like what's normal and abnormal in your um, laboratory results like there's different ranges for males and females that's just to be able to diagnose you with disease so that's a that's an example of a way can you imagine let's say this parenting approach evolves and becomes popular and then it changes the face of the way the world's identity is, right? So let's say this goes off. So, you know, what would that look like? What would that look like? So people, so, um, and I'm not just talking about, oh no, you know, there's not going to be any gender reveal parties, right? No, I'm not I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about the bigger picture in terms of, okay, yeah, what would society look like then? You know, what, yeah, what would it look like? Be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Couldn't answer that question. It's too. And this is and this is why this article is coming up is because it's becoming a trend. So mm. this article wasn't just about one one particular family or one particular set of parents. So this is actually now becoming a trend. Yeah. So it's gonna. That's why I'm asking. I don't out. know because we don't know the answer, and I couldn't even guess. All I can give is my opinion. I, I don't particularly think it's harming the child if they support if they get the right support because it's a very different approach to parenting and different from the norm and the, how society is everywhere. I'm curious to see how it works out. I think we should do another uh, documentary in, I don't know, three years, four years. Oh, you know, like the kids that were followed. Yeah, like I did them at Seven Up. Yeah. Well, yeah that every, and I think they went on to, uh, I think when they went on to age 49 or something. So I think it was back in the 60s. 1960s there was a show called um, Seven Up so they had a group of children who were seven years old and then they revisited them every seven years when they were 14, 21, 28 mm. and um, yeah and they did like a documentary about it and they went on until they were about 49 years it's amazing yeah I think like, that's like following these kids I was like reality tv in the 60s mm. <laughs> I think it's obviously very controversial and I think it's definitely worth following up the story to see what does how do, you know how does the world treat them what's it like for the kids when they can articulate you know their experiences like I don't know yeah It'd be interesting. maybe let's see in five years time on a follow-up podcast let's see uh, <laughs> I know so so Tracy do we have time for your story or do we have to jump into what no, would you do we do not have time okay well, well then we'll have to jump straight into what would you do all right what would you do yeah, yeah. we got a bit carried away with that one didn't we okay so what would you do? 
Maybe I'll have a lovely singing voice. <laughs> so this, what would you do? It's, we like workplaces. This would be a workplace scenario. So th this is the scenario. When it's suggested that A, insert your own minority, black person, person of colour, whatever. Um, actually, it doesn't even need to be a minority. I can think of it just being uh, expat. Okay, right. right. So that's, that's hit me with my circumstance and then I'll decide. All right. <laughs> <laughs> when it's suggested that a person, colleague, presents mm -hmm. at a client meeting, so they're going to present to your clients, Right. Someone says, as a uh, concern, she has a strong accent. Okay. Right. Okay. So this is this scenario is around uh, someone questioning about the ability or the suitability of a presenter who has an accent. Right. I see. Okay. So um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because in the workplace nowadays, you know, there's so many individuals from differing backgrounds you know there's so much um, uh, and different regions different countries and you know there, there's a strong likelihood of a team member that you're working with you know who is not from the same who's not been brought up in, in the same country and you know has an accent and English may not even be their first language so uh, you know this, this probably comes up a lot I, I doubt it's, well, I don't know whether or not, uh, you know, people question it or not, but if they do, I, I've never come across that scenario when someone's questioned it, but I'd probably ask about, oh, you know, oh, uh, I'd probably say, yeah, yeah, it's great. And they've got a great speaking voice too. You know, I'd probably return it around. Um, so I wouldn't go down the path around in my questioning, you know, oh, well, why would that be an issue, that type of thing. Um, but if it did turn into an issue, then I suppose it's about, um, you know, highlighting the fact that it's good to get somebody on board for it to present uh, the client meeting. And, you know, regardless on whether or not they've got an accent, as long as they can articulate um, the message, the content of the work across um, to the audience, that's all that counts, really. Mm. And I've actually had this experience, kind of, a similar one anyway. And I'm thinking about it now, I'm just like, what would I have done differently in that scenario? We've had this, all, all I will say is that it was, the, we were having a meeting to train our clients, usually doctors. And so we um, asked the medic in the company to present clinical data, you know, clinical information. Um, and this, and if, if English was not their first language, this person's English was not their first language. And the, not only did they have an accent, but their English was not very good. And so this was raised as a concern. And we did move to ask to have somebody else present. Okay, but that's, that's mainly because it wasn't necessarily their accent, but it was the fact that uh, their English language skills yeah. And hence, going back to that point I made about as long as the message, the content of the work is conveyed yeah. successfully. Yeah. Well, yeah, you made me think about it. It's the fact that they had an accent was part of it, but only made it worse because their English wasn't very good. I see. But they also, we have people whose English was good, where we also make the request that they didn't present because the way they presented was very monotone, very quiet, very, just doesn't have the the skill mm. to present and be engaging and people to pay attention 
Yeah, and if that's the purpose of the presentation, if that's part of the purpose of the presentation, then you have to consider those attributes um, when it comes to the selection of the speaker. Yeah, and in any case, you know, now I would have given feedback that there needs to be some sort of development to yeah. help them improve yeah. and, you know, get mm-hmm. to the point where they can present at a level that's yeah. required. Yeah, and that's what a lot of um, Toastmasters are also available there for. So a lot of people go to Toastmasters, um, and I've actually been to one in Sydney. Um, And again, my question aside came out because I spent a lot of time asking um, other people in the group, oh, what led you to come to Toastmasters? And that was one one of the main reasons they came was because um, there were either opportunities in their workplace of um, presenting um, and they weren't confident about this or they had um, a presentation due in their workplace and they were not very confident in terms of it could have been it was mainly like their their style of presenting uh, nerves around presenting so you know that's Mm. toastmasters yeah so you can upskill that right but then also i english is my first language and i know that sometimes people struggle understanding me I have an accent. I may have an accent. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of people here in Australia, I know, um, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but um, I know people here in Australia um, where, you know, when it comes to the northern part of England, especially Newcastle, they struggle um, to understand. And I know, you know, working in the TV industry previously, I know that when there have been um, programs um, whereby the the content is going to be televised in other countries, English-speaking countries, if there's a Newcastle presenter, there'll be captions and subtitles. Right. Well, then that might be a solution, honestly. If that's a solution, that's a solution. But then I just remember you just reminded me, I went speed dating once. I went speed dating lots of times, actually. But this particular time, it was years ago, Uh I went speed dating. There was lots of different people. The women stayed and the men moved. Yeah. And I had a three-minute conversation with each man. Yeah. And the and then sat in front of me was a Caucasian Australian man, mm-hmm. and he all he said to me was, "I can't understand what you're saying." That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's all he could say to me for the three minutes. I don't understand what you're saying. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't have any struggles, um, you know, understanding you at all. And uh, even people from Newcastle, I have, you know, I've worked with Anton Deck. Didn't have any problems understanding them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's strange how other people, um, yeah, you know, g- g- take on um, accents. You know, maybe it's because, again, they may not have been exposed to one before. Well, I just think and, that's um, what it is. You have to, the more you hear, the more you understand. It's as simple as that. It's exposure. And this it's is another exposure. reason why, why, you know, if regardless of whether or not someone, as long, sorry, as long as somebody in the workplace um, has the ability to convey the message of a presentation, then they, then, you know, in terms of them having an accent, that shouldn't be a criteria for them not to be selected as a presenter. Um, because it comes down to that exposure. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I know that in an advertising company that I previously worked at, um, I remember there was a, a female um, co-worker of mine and English wasn't her first language. Um, she'd moved to Australia about 10 years ago and she stood up and made presentations and she was heavily accent- accented um, and she did a great job. And, uh, you know, our group, our, the audience, they didn't focus on the accent. They were focusing on the content because what she was presenting was so engaging mm-hmm. and, uh, and so interesting. But she 
they could understand what she was saying despite the accent yes yes it's very heavy she was very heavy uh, it was very heavy accent but that wasn't a you know that wasn't part of the feedback I didn't interfere with feedback so to me there's two possibilities for this kind of comment this is just my experience one is that you actually don't understand what they're saying because you haven't had enough exposure and the second is you hear the accent and you assume that you won't understand them. There's two two different kind of responses there. And I don't know which one this is. So I guess what it would be a case of is if I'm I don't know what the suggestion is yet, because I haven't read yeah. it. But if somebody said to, oh, she has a strong accent, and my question would be, okay, they have a strong accent. Maybe they have a strong accent. That's subjective, really, right? Um, can you understand what they're saying, though? Yes or no? Like, can you understand what the message they're trying to convey? That, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. And if they say no, um, then... Then it's worthwhile reconsidering the selection process. Well, it but, depends. Because, again, I'd be like, is it them? or is it uh, How many people does it impact? Is Do you understand, like, whoever's in the room... Like I want to generally know because you yeah, so, so so it'd be worthwhile putting it out there to to the group. So um. let's because I'm going to do one or two things. If it's a minority of people, I'm thinking they specifically haven't had enough exposure, mm. and I'll go with the majority. But then if it's the majority of people thinking, I'm yeah, we can't really understand. They're going to help that person get better. But I yeah, probably, so that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting one because it's kind of, because it's, if they. If the if a speaker with the accent is um, understands the content, but it's literally about the fact that they have a very heavy accent, and um, a majority of the team have difficulty comprehending their words mm-hmm. um, because of the accent, then is it a case of and how would you approach that? With that? Well, this is the thing you you have to help that person improve their speaking, their English. There'll be an action plan there, but also where. But but, but that's on the accent. It's like saying, someone, can you improve on your accent? No, I mean, it's not about the accent. It's can you understand the words they're saying? Yes or no? And yeah, even if you help them improve, yeah, I've got less of an accent. You want to hear me when I'm back in uh, Blackburn? (laughs) I'd love to do that. (laughs) I've got less of an accent speaking outside of there because I know people understand me better. And if you learn it, it's not even conscious. Ask anybody who's being told that nobody understands them their accent has changed just being yeah. better understood that happens naturally and it happens naturally with practice so that's how I would help that person right but then we're in the day of technology I went to a conference the other week and every speaker on the stage spoke English very well even if it was a second language there was people from all over Europe speaking English except for one woman and where was she from I think she was from Brazil and she spoke in her native language and sat next to her was an interpreter translating everything she said. Right. Right. So there was two things. One, she had a translator. She's still the expert speaking because she's the expert, but she had a translator. That's not necessarily practical in everyday workplace. Got it. The second thing they had was AI yeah. transcribing yeah. as uh, live. Yeah, I like that option whereby there's captions, uh, captions. There'd be, there'd be, there'd be, yeah, there'd be captions added, especially if it's a presentation you're mentioning. Okay, so can't mean presentation. If there's a presentation in these slides, 
I like the idea of um, of there being uh, captions. Captions. And even in Zoom meetings. As opposed to, yeah, you know, not selecting that person. Yeah, exactly. So you do as much as you can to select that person because yeah. it gives them exposure, right? Yeah, and also um, having captions there, I suppose it's like, you know, it's, it's a company initiative and it's the company, you know, we're going to be supporting our employees who may not have English as a first language or who have struggles or difficulties in terms of what obstacles um, in terms of presenting. Well, it's being more inclusive. It's yeah. having more diverse. Yeah, that's it. Thing. Yeah, it's all yeah. those things. So I think I like that idea. I really like that idea, actually. And I think if I was in the audience of a company, let's say if there's a lunch and learn, for example, and I rocked up and I saw business captions, that's what run through my mind, thinking that's great that they've accommodated this for people who may not understand my co-worker. Yeah, and, and you can do captions in Zoom now. You can actually turn it on. So that in a meeting, when people oh, speak, I love that. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that actually. You I do it in Zoom. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's not the best, as in it's not perfect, but the technology is there and it's getting better but, all the time. Yeah, and it's really great because, um, let's say, for example, when you have town halls in this, you know, fifteen hundred employee strong uh, company, have you don't know whether or not, and the leadership team may not know if there's people of like, um, you know, with hearing difficulties, for example. And yeah, so, and like, so, turning on the caption you know, to make the town hall more inclusive, you know, that's something maybe companies and employers should consider. Actually, yeah, we just thought of a new initiative. It. Yeah, it's actually quite good. Yeah, that's a good. They should do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. What it says? <laughs> yeah, that's it. What do the experts say? Right. Why it matters? This comment could torpedo your co-workers' chance to present at a meeting which would be a major missed opportunity for her to prove her skills and show her value to the company. And this is how bias against people with accents can harm people. It can mean that people miss out on assignments, jobs and promotions for which they are qualified. Okay. And it says you could say um, that you don't have any trouble understanding her. If that's true, this is for me. Um, you don't have any trouble understanding her. You think she'd do a great job at the meeting. You could also ask whether there's a problem with her expertise on the subject matter. If she knows the topic well, her accent shouldn't make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And then why it happens. Many people unconsciously assume an accent means a person has poor language skills. That's what I mean. There's an assumption that you understand them mm. just because you hear the accent. Mm. Even if their grammar and word choice are perfectly correct. The bias particularly hurts, and it says Latinas here, but it's talking about America. Yeah. Um, I would say it hurts black people, Asian people from, you know, with accents here. Hmm. And people tend to perceive women with accents as less intelligent and knowledgeable than other women. And it means Latina women. Your colleague may also be hearing an accent where there isn't one. Oh, research shows that people can falsely perceive an accent when a person of color speaks completely unaccented American English. Do you know what that reminds me of? When we had Frankie on and she's talking about her husband, like she's got the accent. He was born in Australia, but he's Asian descent, so he looks Asian. And people are asking him where he's from. Yeah. Even though you hear her speak a foreign accent with a foreign accent and him speak with a native accent. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, can we also really, really, really uh, assigning like a, a, a judgment 
or a discrimination when it comes to assert someone's accent. It can be kind of also reversed in the sense that I had an, an experience when I first arrived in Australia. This was back in I think 2002, and I went to I went for a job interview, and I had arrived slightly late, and um, they already the interviewer she already had my CV. And she was reading through it. And um, when I walked into the room, I sat down. And I first thing I did was I apologized for, for being late. And um, her response was, the interviewer's response was, um, was, oh, you have a British accent. Oh, I wouldn't be able to tell. You wouldn't be able to tell. And uh, that's actually, that was actually seen in my favor. So what she was expecting. I know, say, but that's still a bias. It's yes, discriminating. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that it's, it's like my accent somehow it was it was it was seen as a plus in her eyes yeah because um, they've seen people can't because the assumption was because my my because i had an indian surname or have an indian surname because i have an indian name and because when i walked through a door i look indian the interviewer was not expecting a different accent so you know she was expecting an indian accent and when i when i when i when i spoke with my british accent um, which is what I have. Yeah, somehow that was seen more um, as a highly regarded. I honestly think people should keep those thoughts to themselves because right. I don't think they realise how it makes them look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was quite shocking at the time. So it was about 20 years ago that happened. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I've had surprise, people being surprised the other way. Like, it's weird. Like, just say I've met a new friend. Well, this is an exact example. I met a new friend and you know, we become really close and, and she invites me to a family event. Now she's been talking about her friend Tracy for lots of times with her family. And she's asked, can I bring Tracy to our party or whatever, dinner, whatever. Tracy turns up and they look at me like, oh, I wasn't expecting, honestly, I've had that. Oh, oh, oh hi, Tracy. Expecting- wasn't expecting to be a black girl. We weren't expecting Tracy to be black. They were surprised. <laughs> Wow. Okay. And then, and so, okay. And so when you've been in, have you been, so you've been in a situation where you've rocked up to a friend's family. I've been in that a, a situation a couple of times. And the family. The surprise. Actually, not in a horrible way, just surprised. Yeah. Do I tell you? Oh, we're surprised. Well, I asked later, oh. like, oh, you know, wow, they just thought, they just made an assumption. They just thought you were white. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Older generation. Tracy. As, as a sign a name assigned to white people in their head in their heads obviously yeah it's yeah. a bias it's, it's like, just yeah. a, a bias it's like it's like when you get a story and I'm, I'm noticing this in the books that I'm reading now is mm. that uh when you you and I hadn't really thought about it before until now because it's it's so before when when books are in general you know if, if books are talking about um, a couple in a in a certain sense so you know it's normally written as you know a couple and then and then I automatically think you know a heterosexual couple but now the books that I'm starting the last few books that I've read have actually referred to a couple and then later down down the track in the story it actually ends up being a gay couple um, but the actual sexuality is not anything to do with the plot line yeah but it isn't it interesting how like your your mind sometimes automatically goes to a couple yes. it's, it's a heterosexual couple but now the books that i'm reading the authors are starting to write in as in well actually writing gay and lesbian couples married couples 
and but it's not part of a story it's not part of a plot line so it's it's, it's again it but normalizing things and I think it's great and I really you gave a really good example because what I wanted to finish on saying is we all have bias all mm. of us I do you do and what's really cool is being able to realize that sometimes and point it out and it's not it's not a judgment it's not a blame thing it's just pointed out and what and what impact does that have when you realize that that bias is there what could that mean for other people does it bring them up does it empower them or could it you know inhibit them and limit them in some ways so it's not a it's not a judgment it's just a fact why this is the world we live in it's about recognizing that um doing the best we can to help everyone else everyone right yeah well said it's a great point to end on so thank you Belle. i love having these heated <laughs> controversial discussions with you well you know i like to put the cat amongst the pigeons yes <laughs> oh i don't know if you do like that actually <laughs> interesting choice of words that's true that is true yes yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. I'll see you next time. See you next time. Right, see you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!